0: And let's open Bibles this morning to John 15. I'm going to read the first five verses of John chapter 15, which if you're using the Bible that's right there in front of you, you can find this on page 1068. We're looking in these uh, few weeks here at a brief series to really answer some basic questions about who we are. Where am I headed? What am I here for? What can I hope for? It's a question that's really answered for us by this theological truth that we have been united to Christ. That by faith we are found in Christ, identified with him, saved by him. What he has done and where he is going is true for us as well. And so we turn our attention to the, the truth of John 15, Jesus speaking to his disciples. This is after the Last Supper, and before the arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So these are his final instructions to his disciples in, the, in this pivotal evening in which he will be betrayed and arrested. And he offers them comfort and hope, a simple picture of life found in Jesus the vine. Listen as I read John 15, verses 1 through 5. I am the true vine, You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we ask that you would strengthen us by the hope and the power of your word, that we would find the comfort that we need in the ministry of Jesus our Savior. But Lord also where we are too comfortable, that we would find a reminder of of your judgment, that you would point each of us, those that are listening to your word as as skeptics or inquirers, that we would hear it as truth, or those of us that have read this passage, perhaps even memorized portions of it, that your word would speak to us with with a a freshness and a vitality, a, a hope and life. Lord, point us to Jesus Christ, the one who is our Savior. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's graduation season, and so we ask the successful to offer advice to graduates. How do I navigate life? How do I make it through the hard seasons? What attitude should I adopt at this momentous ceremony. At NYU's graduation this week, Grammy-winning pop star Taylor Swift spoke to the graduates in Yankees Stadium. It was everything you'd want from a celebrity graduation speech. Appropriately self-deprecating, funny, optimistic, and most important of all, what she told the graduates. She says, I know it can be really overwhelming figuring out who to be and when who you are now, and how to act in order to get to where you want to go. I have some good news. It's totally up to you. I also have some terrifying news. It's totally up to you. Taylor Swift describes our American view of our lives and our purpose. It's totally up to you. And... And she's right, that sounds like good news to the graduates who, well, they already have the high-paying job lined up for next week. They got into their first choice grad school. But she's right that that's terrifying news as well, even for those on the road to success. To have a view of the world that says it's totally up to you. Now she wraps around to this theme again at the end of her address when she when she repeats this. She says, "Scary news is, you're on your own now. Cool news is, you're on your own now." To newly minted college graduates, those words may sound optimistic. It's totally up to you. You're on your own now, but we know. Even she knows that such advice can also be heartbreaking. It's totally up to you. You're on your own. That can feel overwhelming. Because you were never meant to be on your own. A a view of the world that says it's up to you Well, that feels initially like, well, then I have limitless possibilities, but it also feels crushing in that, well, what if I fail? As Jesus prepares his disciples for ministry, even on the night in which he knows he he will not get any rest, in which he's preparing for the cross, right as he's about to send his disciples out on mission, he gives them a much different image than the one that we often give to graduates. He says, I am the true vine. He encourages them, you must remain in me. He warns them, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we need to hear this. Because this is truly good news. Jesus offers his life for his disciples. He gives us life in this promise, eternal life, and he promises us life with him. Now, this this language of life here in this image isn't hard to understand, even for those of us without much horticultural experience, the image of the vine and the branches, that we must remain in Christ to have life, that it's only the, the... the vine itself, which is rooted in the ground, that's only where we can find nutrient, where we would gain access to, to the life giving water. That, that the branch which gets cut away, well, of course, I mean, you can decorate with it briefly, but it will wither and die. Now, in John's gospel, he has framed the, the, the gospel by these bold claims of Jesus. These I am statements which point us to the ministry of Jesus, what he has accomplished for us. And this is the very last of the, the I am statements, these identity statements of Jesus. It's the last one that we have in the Gospel of John. But it connects to this theme of life. Jesus has already told us, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door through which the sheep enter. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. And now he tells them, I am the true vine. An encouraging image to us. He is the source of life that we can find our strength and our satisfaction in him. Now, this is a common image in the Old Testament. Because of the part of the world in which the people live, vineyards are plentiful. Vines are grown even even in in smaller garden settings. But in the Old Testament, this image of of the people of God being the vine of God, it's consistently an image of judgment. That every time that God speaks of his people, of of being a vine which he is growing, he he, he brings this up as a warning to them that if they fail to bear fruit, well, what happens? Well, the man who owns the vineyard, the family that, that has a vine growing without any fruit, well, of course, if it fails to bear fruit, then it will be cut down, dried out, and thrown into the fire. Consistently, the Old Testament uses this image of a vine in a negative way, which points us to judgment. There's a clear example for us in in the book of Psalms, Psalm 90, or Psalm 80. Psalm 80 tells us that, that, that God took his people out of Egypt, but he says that, that they were like a vine. In Psalm 80, verse eight, the, the psalmist speaking to God says, "'You brought a vine out of Egypt. "'You drove out the nations and planted it. "'You cleared the ground for it, "'and it took root and filled the land. "'The mountains were covered with its shade, "'the mighty cedars with its branches. "'It sent out its, its bows to the sea. its shoots as far as the river.'" The image of, is of God the gardener planting the vine of his people and that vine spreading and bringing forth fruit and life and shade throughout the whole of the land. But the psalm then brings judgment because in Psalm 80, verse 16, this is what we read. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. The son of man you have raised up for yourself, then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. See, the image of the vine is the the only interaction I ever have with a vine in my yard. It's the vine that tries every year to take over the hedgerow and so my only experience with vines as negative is crawling down to get as close to the root to try and pull up the roots, and I never seem to do it, but what can I do? I keep cutting it off so the vine withers. Well, that's the imagery that's used throughout the Old Testament, that a vine that, that is destructive, a vine that ceases to bear fruit, when the people of God disobey God, when they turn their own way, then what will he do? The vine is cut down, it is burned with fire. And so when Jesus arrives, he doesn't just say, no, he does in verse 5, he says, I am the vine. But but he begins the image in verse 1, I am the true vine. Because the disciples listening would have said, oh, we're talking about vines here? This is bad news. Because vines are, well, eventually they're cut down and thrown into the fire. But Psalm 80 had the, the hope that the one at the right hand of God, the one called the Son of Man, would be used by God to bring life. That's why the psalm ends with a word of hope. It, it gives us the image of a vine, then brings judgment on the vine, but then lingers with this, this glimpse of hope in Psalm 80 that maybe the Son of Man could come and bring life. Maybe the Son of Man could come and save us. And so when Jesus says to his disciples in John 15, I am the true vine. In every way in which Israel failed, I'm the true vine. I'm the true Israel. I am the true and obedient Son, the the Son of Man, the one at the right hand of God the Father. I have come to save you and rescue you. And so this image of judgment in the Old Testament, of a vine being cut down, becomes an image of hope Here in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus is the one who accomplishes what Israel could not. He willingly gives his life so that his people might receive salvation. He is the true vine, the true source of life. And yet, even here in John 15, there's the the word of judgment, isn't there? That the branch, that does not bear fruit will be cut off. No longer will the vine itself be removed because Jesus is the true Israel. This is a vine which will last forever, but the warning is still here for us. In verse 2, the God, the true, the the gardener, cuts off, verse 2 of John 15, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So you and I, when we put our trust in Christ, when we belong to Christ, we are meant to bear fruit. In John 15, we we understand that that if you were to read the rest of the chapter, that that means obeying Jesus. It means responding to Jesus. It means laying down your life, showing love to others, because greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And so to bear fruit means that, that your life is changed. It even means that that others will hear about this good news, this gospel, through us. That there will be fruit of the gospel in your own life and in the lives of of people that you interact with. Because there are no true Christians without some measure of fruit. the The, the warning here is: the branches that are not bearing fruit, what will happen to them? They will be pruned off. So the only options in this image are fruit-bearing believers who rest and trust in Jesus or dead wood cut off, thrown into the fire. Now you might feel like, but I'm, I feel like I'm barely clinging on. Well, keep clinging. Find your life in Jesus. But stop trusting in yourself. I mean, to, when you say, but I, but I don't feel like I'm accomplishing much, Good. That's a starting point, to understand what this image means. You weren't meant to accomplish it. The life, the fruit, comes from Jesus, who is the vine. Now, there's a a play on words here in verses 2 and 3 that that actually helps explain verse 3, because verse 3 kind of comes out of it feels like out of nowhere. We're talking about uh about a vine bearing fruit, and then in verse three, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Wait, Jesus, we just went from horticulture to like moral purity. We just went from talking about bearing fruit to being clean. It 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 feels like a jump. Well in the in the Greek in which John is writing to us, you would be able to see the play on words. That the, the, the same verb is used for cut off, or a variation of the same verb, for, in verse 2, for, for cutting off a branch that bears no fruit, for pruning branches so that they will be even more fruitful. And verse 3, it's the same, same verb used for you are already clean. It... it, it what, what, what Jesus is doing, and what John is making clear in, in translating this into the Greek so that the reader would see it just in the form of the words, the hearer would hear it in the Greek because it would sound like you're repeating the same word three times in the verse. It's, it's not a jump from verse 2 to verse 3. It's a transition. We're talking about, yes, horticulture. But just as is that which is evil in your life needs to be pruned away so that you can bear more fruit. Well, remember, you have already been pruned by God. You have already been made clean by God, by responding to the word that Jesus has spoken. To, to, by receiving life through Jesus, you have found hope in him. See, John moves us to, from, from just thinking about horticulture to thinking about our, our own lives, to the purity we find in Jesus Christ, from, from cutting off dead branches to to being clean before God. Spiritual life is found in Jesus Christ. But that also means that spiritual growth is found in Jesus Christ. And so that's why Jesus gives the command, you hang on to me really tightly. Only if you remain in me. But, but, but that's, that's just a function of how, how the English translation works. It's, it's not conditional. Jesus is saying, you remain in me, I remain in you. We, we are united together. We are bound together. We dwell With one another, dwell in me, and I am dwelling with you. It's a promise here of mutual indwelling. And so, what we are called to do to remain in Christ is to accept this truth that life is found in Jesus Christ alone, to to embrace this relationship. Because the only way to receive eternal life is through Jesus, you cannot gain it on your own. I mean, a, a graduation speech, yes, has both good news and bad news. But but the, the the speech that Jesus brings to to us, to his disciples, it says the bad news is. You're on your own. If you think you can accomplish this, you will fail. You can do nothing. But the good news is Jesus dwells with you. The bad news is you cannot do this alone. But the good news is Jesus has already done it for you because the Christian life is dwelling with Jesus. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. But when we try to live without Jesus, we will wither. See, it might be good advice to a graduate to say you can live on your own, make your own way, define define yourself, but ultimately, I mean, it it, it feels like, well, that's the right kind of thing to say to to graduates as they move across the stage into life. Get out there. You can do it. Let's go. But ultimately, this ends up being empty. It ends up as a pessimistic statement. Because as I step off the stage, I say, wait, this is all up to me? But what if I fail? Because that conditional question we know will come true. There will be moments in which you fail, you stumble, you you hurt those around you. Because sadly, you will fail if you try even to make spiritual gains in your own strength. Because trying to grow and gain a spiritual life on your own can be destructive. I listened this week to a, a seminar our denomination put on called pastoral well-being, obviously aimed at me, not you. But it was really asking the question, how do pastors grow spiritually? How do pastors maintain their spiritual health while helping others? Pastor John Medlock shared research that, that our denomination has done over the past few years. They, they interviewed more than 900 pastors in our denomination, almost a third of, of the total number of, of pastors. And the statistics that they show, it match what's happening in other denominations, but they say, but, but we're not just pointing to what's happening in, in America as a whole, we're pointing to what's happening in our own churches. He said, seven out of ten pastors admit that the work of leading others to spiritual maturity hinders my spiritual maturity. of pastors in our denomination say, being a pastor harms me spiritually. And he says, and when he goes around and has conversations in our denomination about this, every pastor he meets, even those that are in the three out of 10, say, well, yeah, of course. Now, church members think, wait, what? Like, helping us grow in spiritual maturity I mean, that's his job. That's why we hired him. That's why we pay him. And this is harming him and hurting him? He says when he talks with church members, they're shocked. But he explains, when you deploy the means of grace in the service of your vocational success, then you can ruin the work of grace in your own life. Because the issue is really whether or not pastors are trying to do the work on their own or resting in Jesus. Do we remain in Christ? Does my ministry show that I am resting in Christ? Does my life reflect that I am dwelling with Christ? Now maybe you've now figured out why we're focusing on this topic of union with Christ in these weeks leading up to my pastoral sabbatical? It's because I need to answer this question. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be on a sabbatical, a paid leave for ministry, but without any goal of accomplishing anything. You will see no chapters written or book completed. You will see no grand vision statement when I return. The elders are saying, even without knowing the statistics, that 7 out of 10 pastors and 10 out of 10 would admit, yes, of course this is a problem. That leading others to spiritual maturity hinders my own spiritual maturity. They're saying, Kevin, if you're not in the pulpit, does your life have value? Kevin, if you're not sitting in a counseling session, are you reading the Word of God on your own? Kevin, are you, are you focused on the Word of, of God merely so that I can say, well, I could use this? Because often that's how we treat the means of grace. Gathering in worship the, the sacraments, hearing the word of God read and proclaimed. We, we think, oh, there's somebody in my life that needs to hear this. We think to ourselves, I wish so-and-so were here in order to hear this message. But when Jesus says, remain in me, yes, of course he's going to push these disciples out into ministry. The fruit that they are meant to bear is, is fruit that's going to cover the whole earth. The vine of Jesus, which, which spreads everywhere, Yes, of course he wants them to gain in ministry, but he knows they will fail unless they remain in him. Because in verse 5, that's what he says. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Because the fruit is not so much in in the way that, that, that this gospel message impacts the people around you, it's what does it do in your own heart and your own life? Are you really trusting in Jesus alone? And then he says at the end of verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, wait, Jesus. I mean, I've accomplished a lot without you. I mean, there are a lot of areas of life that I would say, well, yeah, I mean, what did Jesus really have to do with that part of my life? And what, what, what Jesus is saying here is that every other source of life that you try and find, every other vine that you try and attach your life to, it will ultimately be destroyed. Because Jesus says, I am the true vine. We cannot find a source of life elsewhere. And one pastor summarizes what Jesus says here in John 15, verse 5, that apart from me you can do nothing. He says, apart from Jesus, sure, we can do everything except live. You can accomplish great things, your name across the front of a building, your statue in the town square, but if it's done apart from Christ, then you have done nothing. Because where can you find the hope of everlasting life? Where can you find true life? Jesus invites each of us today, remain in me, I will remain in you. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the comfort of your word that we have salvation not by anything good we have done but by trusting Jesus Christ alone. Lord, I pray that that you would turn us from the places we seek to find life and hope apart from Jesus, that we would no longer trust ourselves for our accomplishments, but that in your word, we would remain in you. That following the the truth of what Jesus says, that, that in his very declaration, we would find eternal life. That in his death on the cross, the forgiveness of sins, in his resurrection from the dead, that we might gain life everlasting. Lord, let us see that in Christ, we can bear much fruit, but apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Jesus is our hope, our salvation. And so we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.